Well, good morning again, uh, and welcome to this new series, Sway, where we talk about what it looks like to have an influence to make an impact on the people around you. Uh, And I hope that you're as excited about this as I am, because I think we all want to be influencers. It doesn't have to be with a lot of people. We don't need to, you know, sway nations or or whole regions or anything, but we all have people in our lives, family, loved ones, coworkers, that, that we would like to make a positive influence and impact in their lives. And that's all of us. You don't have to be a, a salesperson or a CEO of a company uh, or, or someone with, with a huge uh, purview uh, under you. Like, I think we all just have the people in our lives that we want to make a greater impact with. And so if that's true of you, I'm just going to kind of front uh, the message here uh, all the way at the beginning. I think that if we want to make an influence and an impact, it actually depends less on our expertise, our power, Uh, our ability to argue and persuade, as it does on one very simple choice, which is choosing simply to ask. Uh, So I'm telling you that up front uh, so that you can process it, wrestle with it, and we're going to unpack what makes that so difficult. But I think we intuitively recognize the truth of this point, right? That that actually asking is far more influential than lecturing, teaching, arguing, persuading. And I think we see that maybe in our, in our family lives. Like if, you, if you look at your children, there's a period where you can enforce power and influence on your children just by the fact that they're under your roof and they have to do what you say. Uh, but if you, if you spend their whole upbringing doing that, then there comes the point where they can leave and, and they often will. As opposed to children who have felt that their parents are invested in them and ask them and want to know them, uh, those are the children that your influence with them stays uh, far longer beyond when they leave your roof. I see it very personally because I do a lot of premarital and marriage counseling. Uh, and what's interesting is when people come into me uh, you know, to talk about their relationship, very often I feel like I know what's going on with their relationship. And I have some very strong ideas of what they could do to fix things or take it a step in the right direction. But what I've learned through experience is my telling them what's wrong with their relationship is not helpful at all. Uh, it either makes one person think that I'm taking sides or they both disagree with me and they, and they storm out. But what actually is far more influential for bringing health and some next steps in a good direction for them is my simply asking them questions. Uh, we, we make fun of the cliche counselor who all they do is just ask you how you feel about things. And yet there's something about choosing to ask that actually helps influence people in a better, healthier direction for themselves. And so we are going to explore what does it look like to actually ask and to ask in a way that increases your influence uh, and helps you make an impact on the broader world more than arguing, more than being an expert, more than being a great speaker would do. And so for that, we are going uh, to the Gospel of John chapter 4, and we're looking at a story. It's one of the more famous stories in Scripture uh, where Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And what's interesting, I'm going to tell you the end of the story right now. By the end of this encounter, an entire town is going to believe in Jesus' name and be saved. That's what's going to happen. And yet, the story doesn't start out the way you might think it would. Here's Jesus walking around through this town. This is the the Lord of the universe, the wisest being who's ever existed, the miracle doer. He knows he wants to make an impact on this town. He wants to save everybody. And yet I want you to notice where this story starts 
and what Jesus does instead of miracles, instead of speeches, uh, instead of wisdom, this is what he does. Let's look. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? There's the beginning of our story. And so in the spirit of this week's message, I want to start by asking you all a question. Why did Jesus start this encounter this way? Why was he asking this woman a question? When he could have done miracles, when he could have you know, shown off his power and his clout, why did he start by asking a question? And that's a fairly broad uh, thing to be asking you, especially right at the very beginning of a message. So I, I want to help give you some uh, options, some parameters. As I was reflecting on this passage this week, here are some of the reasons that I have found that, that people tend to ask questions. And so maybe this can give us some parameters for what Jesus might have been doing. For example, I think sometimes we ask questions simply to receive help or an answer to something, right? Uh, this is the, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, are you doing anything with your pickup truck this weekend? You know exactly where that's going, and you just got enlisted, right? Or sometimes we ask questions in order to trap people, right? If you've ever had a moment where a parent or even a spouse, you you walk into the room and they look at you and they say, is there anything you'd like to tell me? (laughs) Danger, Will Robinson, danger. You don't want to go near that question with a 10-foot pole. Sometimes we ask questions in order to fix things for people. Uh, I know that this is a, often a, a stereotypical you know, guy-on-gal kind of moment. Uh, we certainly experience it in my household that I, that I often ask questions in order to fix things. Uh, in fact, one of the most perilous moments in our day at my household uh, is at the end of the day when, when me and my wife both get home from work and I ask her, how was your day, honey? very perilous because she starts to tell me how her day was and as she's telling me I can just think through all the things that I would have done differently or ways that she could have solved that problem with that coworker and then I tell her those things and then we have a fight and it's something that it took me a long time to really grapple with this because I, I thought wouldn't you want help wouldn't you want someone to, to fix your problem why do you always get so mad at me uh, upset when I try to fix your problems and, and where I, I finally landed after a lot of years is I, I think it's that she perceives she, she thinks that when I ask questions in order to fix things that it's because I'm actually trying to cut the conversation short Right? She thinks that I don't want the conversation to keep going, and if I can just fix the problem, it would stop. I don't think that's the truth. That's not true. It's what she perceives is the truth, is that I want her to stop talking. It's not the truth. It's sometimes the truth. <laughs> just a little bit. I think she, she reads me pretty well. And so I think that's why the fixing thing doesn't always go over well. Or sometimes we ask questions to judge others, right? The question is simply serving up this moment so that you can engage with it. Judging, I've had that experience. My interests are pretty diverse, and I've had that moment where someone looks at me and says, are you really into Broadway musicals? And I think, well, now I don't want to answer that question. 
Because yes, I am. I really like those. But clearly from the way you've asked it, you've already got some opinions about me or about someone who would answer that question in the affirmative that now I don't want to engage. Or finally, we often ask questions in order to truly understand someone. And in contrast with the judging question, have you ever had that moment where someone asked you a question and you could just tell that it was because they only wanted to know you better? When someone looked at you and they said, tell me about your childhood. What was your favorite childhood memory about growing up? And suddenly you just felt like someone wanted to know you and and it immediately brought up all of these great positive memories and and you couldn't wait to share your answer to this question. So as we look at these options for reasons why we ask questions, maybe this will help refine. So I'm going to ask you again, why do you think Jesus started this encounter with this woman with a question? Was he trying to fix something? Was he trying to get something? Was he trying to judge her? Was he trying to understand her? What, what do you think Jesus was doing by starting with a question? Now, the savvier among you have noticed the order that these options are in. And so a lot of you are thinking, well, we we know the right answer here. It's always going to be the last one or else what are we going to spend all this time on? Let me say this to you. It's not as simple as you might think. In fact, as we get into this story for the rest of the time here, as we really dive deep into this encounter with the Samaritan woman, the answer is not as cut and dried. It's not as black and white. There are, in fact, a lot of false steps along the way as we look at what Jesus was doing. All right, but, but, but let's really examine each and every one of these through the lens of this encounter with the Samaritan woman. All right, so let's start with the first one. So maybe Jesus was, in fact, just asking in order to receive something, right? He asked for a cup of water. Maybe the dude was thirsty, And we don't have to read anything else into it, into this moment or this question. Guy had been walking for a long time. He needed some water. She had a water jug. End of discussion. And before you blow that off too quickly, I'll let you know that one of the commentaries that I use to study and read, the the theologian in that, that's the answer he thinks to this question. He specifically calls out and says, "Ah, yep, there's nothing else going on here. He'd been walking a long way. It was dry. He was thirsty. Don't read any more into it. So a leading theologian thinks that this is the right answer to this question this morning, is that Jesus was just asking to receive a little bit of help. He wanted a cup of water. Nothing more to it. Here would be my answer to that. We're actually going to jump to the end of the story here to help answer this question. So if we go to the very end, he's asked her for a cup of water. You get through this entire long conversation that he and and the woman have. And at the end of this whole conversation, lots of back and forth, no actual drinking of water, his disciples finally come back. And they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then, and this is the point, leaving her water jar, which she had never filled, the woman went back to town. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. We just went and got you food and drink. Have something to eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, oh, someone else must have already brought him food. Maybe he already had some food or water. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. If Jesus was asking a question in order to receive something, specifically a cup of water, it failed miserably. He got no water, he got no food, and in fact, at the very end, he goes so far as to say he didn't even want food, he didn't need water. 
He had something deeper going on. Jesus wasn't asking just to get something. So maybe he was asking in order to trap. After all, that's actually what the woman thinks. So we go all the way back to the beginning of the story, all right? When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And look at her immediate reaction. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John, in case we're not sure what's going on, he spells it out for us really clearly. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This is a trap. This, this man is going to try and get her in trouble. This is a moment where he's going to introduce even more scandal into her life. Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And if he's going to ask her a question, it's because he's got something nefarious up his sleeve. He's going to try and get her in even more trouble. And I think we've all had our share of these kinds of questions, right? These questions that are designed not to open us or engage us, but but simply to trap us. And, And in a time of polarization, it feels like people are only asking questions so that you can catch somebody out in an inconsistency or so that you can use it to hold it against them later on the way they answered this question now. We felt trapped by questions, and it's not a good feeling. In, in fact, this is kind of a, a side point, but I think this is one of the problems with the way that American Christianity has done evangelism for the last 50 years, is that we engage in a relationship with people purely so that we can spring Jesus on them later, which then taints every interaction and every question we ask with an agenda. It, it becomes its own form of trapping question. And just like the Samaritan woman can sense when, when something might be trapping, people, they, they can feel when people are in a relationship with them or asking them questions just so that they can spring something on them later. I don't know about you, but I've had the Amway pitch. Where someone's like, oh, come over and have dinner. Like, oh, that's so great. And then like, oh, let me tell you about this amazing business opportunity. And you just go, ah. Or when people are having conversations only so at some convenient point they can introduce you to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And if that's what we're doing, we're not actually engaging people's hearts and minds. And we're not going to have the influence that we want. And it's not what Jesus was doing here. He wasn't trying to trap this woman. He had no interest in getting her in, in further trouble or scandal. Okay, so he wasn't doing that. So maybe in typical and good guy fashion... He was trying to fix her life. After all, she had a lot of problems. The the Bible story doesn't spell this out explicitly, but there are a couple of things to note about this story. Uh, First is that women didn't go to the well at noon because that was incredibly hot time of day. Women went in the cool of the morning or the cool of the dusk, and they also went in groups. And so here you have this woman who is struggling uh, somehow in her social circles, in her dynamics, because she is there by herself at a time of day when no one else is supposed to be there. She's got things wrong in her life. And so maybe Jesus, in good savior of the world fashion, is engaging with her in order to provide a fix for the problems in her life. But here's what's interesting. Let's continue on in the story. Jesus answered the Samaritan woman, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, here's the fix, right? He's going to give her living water. And the woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She wants what he's offering. She wants the fix. 
And then notice what Jesus says. He told her, no, no, no. Instead, go and call your husband and come back. She actually puts herself out there and says, I, I, I want this thing, and he doesn't give it to her. This is such a fascinating moment in the story for me because she's primed, she's open, she's willing, and, and he doesn't actually give her the living water. Because ultimately, a temporary fix is not what he wants for her and for her life. And it's not a short-term solution to anything that's going on. So even when she's asking him for this very specific form of help, he doesn't provide it to her in this moment. Because he's got a deeper game. He's not asking her questions in order to fix her. So, that brings us to... The next option, and I'm going to tell you now, this is the option, even though it's not the last one on the list, this is the option that most people think is right for this story. That Jesus was asking in order to open up a conversation so that he could judge this woman for her immoral lifestyle. Let's go to the tape. Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Right? Here's this woman. We now get the clue as to why she was going to the well in the middle of the day without any other women with her. Because she was a social outcast because of her immoral lifestyle. And Jesus, in his role as a prophet, has called it out for everyone to see. And so this is where people will look at this and say, clearly this is what's going on. This woman needed a call to repentance. She needed to forsake this way she was living, accept Jesus uh, as her Savior, and, and live a new and holy life. And what I say to that, and I'll tell you right now, this is the most controversial thing I'm going to say this morning. I say it's completely wrong. Jesus is not judging this woman in this moment. And I have two reasons that I believe that so strongly. The first is that Jesus is not shy about judging people when it's time to judge them. Jesus is not afraid when he's engaging with the Pharisees to call them uh, phrases that you could not say in polite company. Jesus is not shy when his own best friend says something that's against God's will and he calls his own best friend Satan for speaking something that was wrong and a lie and untrue. Jesus is willing to say to people, go and sin no more, and he doesn't say it to this woman. Now, I'm giving you an excerpted version of the story for the sake of time, but I encourage you on your own, go read John chapter 4, pour over it, and you will see not a single word of condemnation or judgment for the way she's living in this story. Now, people respond to me, and they often have, and they said, well, but it's clear in the tone. Why else would he call out all the sinful stuff that, that she's hiding? Why would he call it out if not for judgment's sake? And what I say to that is, we're used to a culture that would only ever call people's secret things out for the sake of judging them. 
And so just because it's what you've done or what you've experienced, we project our own weakness and foibles onto Jesus in this moment. We impute this tone to him that he's kind of very arrogantly and self-righteously saying, oh, well, the fact is you have had five husbands and the guy you're currently living with, not your husband. And and he's approaching it in all the self-righteous ways that we have seen people approach these kinds of things all of our lives. But this is Jesus. And what I'm telling you is this is not the way he does it. It's not the way he lives his life. Like I say, when he's going to call people out, he'll call them out. And if he's not, then he approaches people in a way that is so hard to fathom when we read about it. We hear about the Pharisees who say, oh, this guy, he likes to eat with tax collectors and sinners. And we look at it and we go, why? Why do the tax collectors and sinners like hanging out with the only perfect person who ever lived? Because we picture perfect people and sinners don't like hanging out with them because it makes them feel bad. And yet here's this man who is perfect in every way and the sinners and the tax collectors love him. Why? And I think we get a clue here because even as he shows that he knows her deeply and intimately, he doesn't do it with a speck of judgment. But I have one last reason why I think I can say so, so strongly, so firmly, he is not judging her in this moment and that he's asking her in order to deeply understand. And it's because of the way she reacts. So I want you to pay attention. Here's how she responds when this man publicly calls out her deepest shame and fear. Notice what she does. Right in this moment, the disciples return and they're surprised to find him talking with a woman. But as an interesting side note, none of them asked what was going on. None of them chose to ask. They didn't follow the lead of their own master. They just went with their assumptions, went with their judgment, the way people are so wont to do. Uh, you know, what are you doing? Why are you talking with her? They, they, they just, they stayed content in their judgment. But so then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town And said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because the woman's testimony said, he told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he ended up staying two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So let me ask you, if you're, if you're weighing the options between whether Jesus was judging this woman for her lifestyle or whether he was just simply asking in order to understand, let me ask you to reflect on your own life. If there's ever been a moment where you have been called out in judgment, where someone has publicly said, here's an area where you are sinning, here's an area where you have fallen short of God, here's an area where you, have broke, where you are broken, how many of you have responded to that moment of judgment by sharing it with all the world? How many of you have been caught in a secret addiction by someone that mattered to you and, and, so, and in response to that said, guess what, everybody, my addiction is public now, Yay! 
Or how many of us have been judged uh, and not gotten into a college we wanted to get to or a job that we wanted, and in that moment where they've told you you're not good enough, you've gone uh, public on Facebook and said, guess what, everyone? I'm not worthy enough to get into the school I want or the job I want. They don't think I'm good enough. Our reaction to judgment is not to share it with all the world. Our reaction to judgment is to hide and to lick our wounds in privacy somewhere else. And that's not what this woman did. But on the flip side, haven't you ever had those moments of deep understanding and acceptance? And how have you reacted in those moments? Have you ever gone on a date with someone and it just felt like everything clicked and they understood you in a way that no one else ever had before? And you couldn't wait to get home and tell your family, tell your friends, say, guys, I just met someone. It was like they got me. They got everything about me. You do tell the world when you feel understood. Or when you do have these moments of heartbreak or or, or pain in your life and someone comes in and they say, it's okay, you're okay, I'm not going to leave you or abandon you over this bad thing that happened and suddenly you feel such release and you can't wait to talk about how someone knew you and loves you and accepts you that well. And so when we look at this woman's reaction and we look at it through the filter of what human reactions are, this is not a woman who was judged by a man at a well. This is a woman who felt understood and accepted for the first time, and it changed everything. The same townspeople that she'd been hiding from by going to the well at noon are now the people that she goes to confidently and says, guys, I've met the savior of the world. You need to see him too. Jesus engaged with this woman. He started by asking her a question because he was offering her understanding and acceptance. And that same understanding and acceptance that he offered her 2,000 years ago is what he offers to each and every one of you right now here today. See, this is the posture of God to us. He chooses to ask. And one way to understand the incarnation of God as the man Jesus Christ is to, is to see it as a God who is up on high in heaven, with all the power, all the knowledge in the universe. He was lacking nothing. And he could have interacted with us from that position of power and distance and wisdom. And instead, he became a man so that he could better understand what our life was like intimately. And so now, just like that woman, there is nothing that you have experienced, no shame, no sorrow, no pain, that God himself can't say, I understand, I lived it. I was hungry and thirsty too. I had people betray me too. I I know what it is to love someone and not have it returned. And God can actually say to you, no matter what it is, I understand and I accept you anyway. This is the amazing truth of this story. And if we want to model God's influence in the world, this is the person who saved the entire world. He didn't do it primarily through his power. He did it through this humble posture of choosing to understand and ask his own beloved creation questions. And if we want to mimic that, if we want to have a similar amount of influence and impact, we need to do the same. We need to ask in order to understand. But as we've looked at today, that's harder to do than you might think. 
Uh, it's much easier to ask in order to judge, uh, in order to fix. And so if that's something that you want to model in your life, I want to share with you, this is uh, something that we've been using in our spiritual growth experience on Tuesday nights. We call them the magic questions. Uh, and actually, they came from one of our own people. Rick Fessler uh, gave these to me a couple years ago. Uh, and these questions, if you look at them, they're very simple questions. It, just one positive question. What, what's something that you're excited about? What's something that's new or inspiring to you? One question that gets at maybe the hard side of life. Hey, what's difficult for you right now? What are you struggling with? And then a, a third question that simply prompts people to, to be future thinking. What, what are you working on now? What are you trying to apply in your life? What, do, what are you doing these days? And if you'll notice, the, the amazing thing about these questions is there's nothing to judge in them. Because there's no right or wrong answer to what's exciting for you right now. There's no right or wrong answer to the, what you're struggling with. It's just, it is what it is. And when you ask these questions, you're not putting yourself in a position of having to fix it for this other person either. You can just simply ask and share and learn and hopefully understand a little more about them. We've been using these questions for a while, and it's been amazing to see how just such simple questions can open up hearts and minds, and it's through that that we drastically increase our influence in the world. But not only that, these are also questions that you can ask yourself. Part of what helped me realize the power of these is that when I first applied these questions to myself, I realized I didn't have an answer to them. I didn't know what was new or inspiring to me because I hadn't been paying attention. And it's much easier to try to skate through life just focusing on the tasks at hand and not asking these deeper questions. But, but here's the other part of this promise, that you don't have to worry about what you'll find in yourself when you ask yourself these kinds of questions, when, when you choose to ask yourself for the sake of understanding yourself better. Because here's the thing, there's nothing so dark and scary inside of you that God hasn't already seen. Jesus already knew she had five husbands. He didn't need to ask. He asked so that she would examine herself and find the acceptance that he offered her in the face of that answer. And it's the same thing we have now. Ask yourself these questions, trusting that God already knows these answers on your behalf. He already understands and accepts you in spite of the answer to them. And if you can dwell in that, if you can sit in the confidence that comes from knowing that God himself knows you deeply and accepts you anyway, well, then you can choose to ask these questions of those around you. You don't have to try to control them, try to fix them. You can just simply want to know them better. And so you can ask them questions with no other agenda but to understand. And I promise you, you will see your influence drastically increase. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, I give you thanks that as powerful and mighty and wise as you are, you didn't use those attributes as a club to get us back in line, but that you willingly humbled yourself to human existence. You became a human being that could experience pain and doubt and thirst so that you could more intimately understand us. And Lord, I ask right now that you would use this understanding and acceptance that you have for each person here so that we could dramatically increase our ability to ask to understand others and so that the influence that we will have 
would bring even more people into your kingdom, just like this woman brought an entire village to knowledge of the Savior. So Lord, empower us to ask. Help us to choose to understand others. And Lord, let our impact be mighty for your name. Amen.